at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Welcome to Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Dred Robinson Appreciation Week. <laughs> That's a thing. Um, yeah, so for those who don't know why, Greg Robinson did the impossible, and one of the five wins that still counts towards his name was one against Notre Dame, an unlikely uh, November Eve, where he managed to beat the Fighting Irish. And thank God um, he was already going to be leaving because that would have saved his job otherwise, and Daryl Gross would have made sure of it. Yeah. Um, oh, God, I can't even imagine a world where they, they didn't fire him before that. Um, I never even thought of that. Uh, yeah, that was a game that I, I delighted in, and uh, I hope that we can delight in a similar game that doesn't involve a coach uh, on his way out, but instead a coach who is just beginning his time here in the uh, lovely Syracuse, New York. Yeah, I mean, this would, in some ways, this would, like, speed up the, the pace of things, and, and I'm not even going to wade into this question again, because last time I suggested a loss might be better long-term than a win, I was uh, crucified. But at the same time, um, you know, the expectation train will roll uh, if Babers wins this game, even if at the end of the day... Um, it's not against an, an overly impressive Notre Dame team. doesn't mean I don't want it. It's just saying that I, I can see the writing on the wall at the same time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would also suggest that you not, not, not write that article that again. A loss of, yeah. <laughs> probably not, probably not your, your, uh, your most popular work among the fan base. One of my um, least popular works actually. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you have to have something that's your least popular. I mean, by definition. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, a win here. I don't know. It's 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 a. It's tough to really know what to make of Notre Dame. Part of me, I for full uh, transparency, um, when I wrote my uh, preseason predictions uh, for college football, I had Notre Dame in my playoff. I was very much in on the Irish um, and Deshaun Kaiser and all their weapons. And their defense is so terrible. It's like, it, it's it's about, I mean, it's not unlike Syracuse's defense, um, except that it has way more talent and might somehow be, like, worse scheme-wise. Um, they've been absolutely toasted uh, by Texas, who has a pretty good offense, but, like, you know, Texas is still finding its way in this new system, as Syracuse is, uh, obviously with a lot more talent. Um, Michigan State, which... Uh, does not have the same kind of explosive offense, but 30 sits up on them. Um, Duke just uh, beat them at home, and Duke is not very good this year. They lost to Wake Forest, I think, the week before. Um, undefeated Wake Forest, we should note, but Wake Forest nevertheless. Uh, so, I don't know. I think a win over Notre Dame when you're a program like Syracuse or Duke, for that matter, uh, is always good. Um, I think perception is still that Notre Dame is a power player. Um, and they were a good team last year, so I get it. Um so it would be a really nice uh, notch in the belt for Babers. Uh, I don't think it's on the same level as, like, if he were to beat Clemson or Florida State later in the year. Do either of those, um, please. Yeah, one of those would be fun. Clemson in particular. Oh, God. <laughs> Especially if Clemson beats Louis. I mean, I don't really want to. I'd like the ACC. And at this point, like, in the season, I think a bunch of one-loss teams will be in the playoffs. But, uh. I would like the ACC to continue to get representation in the playoff, but I don't think I'd want that more than if Clemson were to beat Louisville this weekend and then have its only loss to Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> and their fans would, especially like, I think if they got to the playoff anyway, their fans would be okay. Um, if they that would. was the reason they missed the playoff, holy shit. <laughs> they, 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 first of all, they would not make the playoff. 
Well, uh, I don't know because I'm not bu- I'm not buying an undefeated Pac-12 winner. Uh, maybe if Washington wins this weekend and, and they run the table, um, and I'm starting to like move into the Washington bandwagon, um, I feel okay about being skeptical. But they've looked really good uh, aside from like. I think at Arizona is kind of a weird game, and no one actually saw that game, so no one knows how close it was because it was on Pac-12 Network. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think the winner of this weekend is the best chance there, but Big 12 might just get I mean, I don't know if anyone in the Big 12 is going to survive with one loss. Um, obviously, Oklahoma already has two. Well, even if they do, um, and you know, like I kind of waded into this in an article over on the comeback last week. It was like, even if Baylor does like win it all, like you're going you're gonna to win a conference where the second best team is going to be like nine and three and like a nine and three Texas or a nine and three Oklahoma. Like if Baylor gets through, I, I just don't know if that team considering how terribly they schedule in the non-conference could, could jump over any one loss conference champ. It'd be tough to leave them out if they were undefeated, but I also don't see this Baylor team. Like I don't, I haven't watched very much of this Baylor team yet. I, um, I saw to. a little bit of Baylor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw a little bit of the Oklahoma state game. Um, it just they don't strike me as the same team as they have been, and these last couple teams haven't made the playoff either. So, I mean, maybe they could do it, but um, I'm not buying Baylor. I mean, our like uh, in terms of pure on the field thing, like Art Bryles is kind of a, a, a warlock, and I don't think Jim Grobe is going to have the same command of that team, uh, or Kendall Bryles will have the same command of that offense when it comes to like crunch time decisions uh, in a in a close team. So, um, we'll see. Uh, I think, obviously, the Ohio State-Michigan winners looking good. Alabama looks pretty much unstoppable through the regular season. Um, and either, you know, whoever wins is Clemson-Louisville game, and then obviously Houston is the specter uh, floating around. Uh, and obviously that Louisville-Houston game might also be a uh, de facto uh, quarterfinal as well. So there's a lot of a lot of football to be played. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, – I'm trying to remember how we even got, got here. Oh, yeah, Clemson getting left out because they lost to us. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how many undefeated champions will be. Maybe – I think two. I think two is like the max, and uh, there could be one. Um, it could just be Alabama. Well, just sign me up for an undefeated Houston getting in over an undefeated Baylor for the fourth spot. Oh like, yeah, I mean, like I would have. Week, to but like that. the week, of, like right after the Big Twelve says they're not going to expand. Plus, you'd have like a couple. That'd be really funny. Um, you, you'd also have some like interesting comparison points. Is you'd have Baylor um, playing Oklahoma, obviously, and I don't know that they would beat Oklahoma as easily as I mean, Houston didn't beat. I wouldn't say easily, but Houston handled them. Houston looked like definitively the better team, and then Houston would have a really nice win over Louisville. Um, and, you know, uh, some decent AAC games. Not great. Like, not as good as the Big 12. But um, Baylor doesn't have that marquee at a conference game. And uh, Houston would have two. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know who that's not a Baylor fan would support Baylor getting in over Houston. Um, especially because Houston is such a fun program and Tom Herman is uh, such a fun coach and they have a lot of delightful players. Um, maybe, like anyone in that general region. Maybe maybe the, the Texas schools would be like, well, we can deal with Baylor being who they've been become, but we can't deal with Houston now becoming a legitimate national power. Maybe that, even if they don't make it into the Big 12. Um, yeah, so a lot of football to be played. I think the playoff pitcher is, is kind of shaping interestingly. I would agree. Um, and then shifting focus a little bit to Syracuse. I know people do tune in for that, believe it or not. Um, Syracuse beat UConn last week. I know it took us eight minutes to get to that point, but... Syracuse did beat UConn last week. Um, it was messy. It was terrifying at times. I, for a second, thought that it wasn't going to happen. But it did. And it actually did on the back of the defense in the second half, which I, w- I was stunned by. Dan, were you equally as taken aback by how all, all, all that occurred? Um, a little bit. I mean, we the, the defense has been so uh, maligned this year, and I think, to good reason, like it's been pretty bad overall. Um, but like we've said with this cover two system, like with the offense becoming as scary as I think it will be by next year, and we see spurts of it now, it's not obviously clicking at you know the optimal efficiency, um, and they go on long spurts where they can't do anything. Um, but I think I think ultimately what this defense is going to try to do is force turnovers, make big plays in crucial times, get the ball back to the offense, hopefully force some quick three and outs at times. 
it's not going to be a defense that I think ever is uh, a lockdown unit. Um, like that's just it's just hard to do with an offense that uh, plays as, as a high pace as the Syracuse team does and will continue to improve on. Like you've seen some really good Baylor defenses, but even those defenses will get into shootouts where you know they might actually have a decent game and they're giving up 35 points just based on how the game is played. Um, so for them to, I mean, that's kind of how the UConn team went. Uh, obviously, the offense, you know, kind of stalled out for a while there as, as it has tended to do this year so far in the third quarter, um, especially after they jumped out to that early lead. Uh, but the defense did exactly that. They made, they made you know, uh, the big pitch six, which, you know, just opportunistic. If, if the defense starts putting points on the board, even if they're giving up some, that's going to be huge. Um, Franklin obviously had the monster game that we've talked about a lot uh, across the Internet. Um, had that huge stop uh, down by the door, door line on Sheriffs. Um, so that's really what like what you, we want out of this defense. It's not going to be uh, a unit that pitches shutouts and is holding opponents to 200 yards total. That's just unrealistic. Uh, maybe it'll happen here and there, um, but it's not something you can expect when our offense is occasionally going to you know, have a 45-second drive, uh, storing or not storing. Um, so it does put a lot of pressure on the defense, but when they can make those big plays and those big stops and and get the ball back to the offense and, and pile up points in, in quick bursts, that's where uh, it, it's effective. And uh, I think Babers uh, knows that and is really uh, okay with it. And even after, like, the Louisville game, I think he said, like, I think he was very calm about how the defense played, even though they got totally lit up. He, he gets it. And uh, I think hopefully our fans start to, yeah, and, you know, it's not crazy that, you know, they'd be frustrated uh, based on a couple of these early performances. But, I think eventually our fan base will kind of learn to uh, what to expect because it is so different from the Marone and Schaefer teams, which were uh, very defense-oriented. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times that I think I've had conversations with folks um, on Twitter, uh, in the comments about, like, adjust your expectations, stop pretending this is going to be a team that resembles any of the previous ones at Syracuse ever. Um, this, this is a team that, I mean, when I saw the Greg Robinson comparisons coming out of nowhere, when I saw the Schaefer, you know, Georgia Tech comparisons coming out of nowhere, like, they're, they're playing two different games completely. Um, so Schaefer playing his typical brand of football, allowing 56 points is a monstrosity. Babers' team allowing 56 points isn't because of the pace of play, um, and, and everyone needs to, to understand that, um. I think it was a great sign that the defense can still create plays for itself, um, despite maybe having their, you know, quote-unquote edge taken away from them uh, when it comes to, you know, how they rush the passer, um, how they get into different uh, running lanes, and and how they kind of, you know, are supposedly, were were supposedly flying all over the field um, in the Schaefer scheme. Um, The fact that they were still able to create for themselves and actually, you know, help this team, propel this team to victory, and, you know, I mean, between that touchdown and then the big fourth down stop um, at the goal line, I think we're both great signs uh, of the future, especially considering how many guys are uh, are injured right now. And, and the the point that I always bring up with people of, you know, how how much of a mismatch this personnel is for this scheme right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you can only almost compare it to like college basketball, where you have, I mean, everyone kind of knows the difference between play styles, where. Uh, a team that's going to run and done is going to play games that are in, you know, the 170s, 180s in terms of total points versus, you know, the old school like Wisconsin teams would play games that are in the 80s. Uh, it's just a totally different thing. Um, the Syracuse, you know, under Schaefer, Syracuse is playing games in the 40s, uh, total points. Now these games are going to be in the 80s. And it's just, it's not like you can expect the same defense. I mean, some teams can expect this. Alabama can expect this. Um, but, but for Syracuse, you're not going to have uh, the same defense like the best Schaefer defenses in 09-2010 that were holding teams to like 20 points tops and then also have a Babers offense that's in a store 40 points. Like That's just an unrealistic expectation um, with the talent that Syracuse has access to and uh, just in terms of just how the game of football is played. Um, you're never going to have like those two things. They're very disparate uh, ideas. Um, so it's just a shift in terms of uh, expectations of what uh, a, de- a good defensive performance is and what uh, a defense's role is um, for Schaefer. And I'm not saying this, I mean, we obviously are very tired of Schaefer, but I think in an ideal world where, uh, with a good style Schaefer team, um, it would have been, you know, the defense is going to win the game. The offense has to put up enough points for, for you know, 
just to get the win versus with the Babers team, it's the offense is setting the tone. The defense's role is to make uh, get, get the offense more possessions and more time with the ball. Um, so just a shift in philosophy. Um, it's it, it, Honestly, it's a preference thing for a lot of people. I know there are probably some Syracuse fans who hate it and wish football was still played, you know, 19 to 13 rock fights. But uh, for me, I, I thoroughly enjoy seeing Eric Dungy have a full quarter where he looked like he had never done a football before and still finished with 407 yards. Um, that's fun. I think that's a cool thing. So uh, hopefully that continues. And uh, I think uh, I actually just looked it up. The The total points line for the Notre Dame game, I predicted it was going to be 74. It is at 74 and a half. So yay me. Um, I think it'll go over that. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of points. It's Notre Dame's defense, as we said earlier, quite bad. Uh, Syracuse's defense, uh, still pretty bad, I think, uh, despite having a nice performance that they deserve a lot of credit for. Uh, and both offenses, I think, are quite capable. So I think if you were at MetLife Stadium, unfortunately I will not be. I will be like 10 miles away at my office. Uh, not even 10 miles away, I don't think, like 8. Um, you should see a, a lot of points. And uh, if you're going to... Um, I think all things equal, I'd rather have a high-scoring game than not, as we bring up every week now. Because that's a thing we we can expect now, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I mention this all the time. Like, it's always it's still weird to me to see the, you know, like comments about how fast the Syracuse go and the high-flying Syracuse offense and all this other stuff that uh, was just a foreign concept under Schaefer. Um, like we said a couple weeks ago, for Syracuse fans that are struggling to uh, to rectify all this in their minds. Pretend this is like a four and eight Texas Tech team, and you'll be fine. It, it it'll all make a lot more sense. You'll be much happier. Maybe even tell yourself it's not your team. Just just when when the defense is on the field, just just plug your ears or close your eyes or whatever you need to do. It's gonna take a little bit. I'm willing to wait because I can see that the pieces are already coming together on offense, and even if the pieces are slower to come together on defense, if the offense is clicking. Then, then we can sustain that. Right now, a little more difficult, but I also don't feel that bad for what's happened to us so far. Um, I mean, you, you take a look at, at what Louisville's been able to do to better teams. You take a look at what, you know, USF, yes, they lost to Florida State, but they were still able to put up plenty of points against them as well, and they have a, should have a much better defense than we do. Um, I, I, I don't feel that bad, and that's not just being, like, blindly optimistic about this team and this coaching staff in particular. It's just... More addressing the realities that, you know, we knew this defense was going to struggle. We were delusional about how much so, perhaps. But even if we finish four and eight this year, or five and seven, or whatever, we're going to do it in a way that's that's at least partially entertaining, and and that's better than anything we can say, winning season or losing season, um, since Doug Marone left. Right, and um. I think it's encouraging looking at, like, some of the advanced stats. I mean, I think uh, I, my computer is being stupid and kind of just froze. But um, I believe I just scrolled past where, in terms of uh, Bill Tomley's S&P ratings, um, I think our offense is, like, 36. And this is, like, obviously the offense does some really nice things at times, but it is not, and anyone who watches it will tell you, it is not fully functional at all. Like, there are times where this offense goes full quarters, full, you know, 25-minute blocks where it just can't do anything. Um, and obviously that is not uh, what it's going to look like in a year or two. Um, but the fact that it's already, you know, just that far ahead, where I'm, I'm guessing last year's offense is probably in the 90s, um, if not worse. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're ranked 36. Um, and, and the points haven't even t- totally come along yet because I think there are red zone issues um, that need to be addressed. Uh, but like the, the jump forward on offense, especially, is is pretty crazy. Just based on one off season and a couple games, and uh, you know, inheriting a bunch of players that were not recruited for the system, even though as we've brought up, like they they happen to fit in fairly well, considering all things considered. Um, a lot of that is is we happen to land uh, a transfer who turned out to be like a top ten receiver nationally. I think is very fair to say at this point. Um, Can't ask me a word. Obviously, for next his year. numbers. A little bit. I'm. I'm not out on Steve Ishmael though. I. I think, and he said this today. I was thinking over the weekend, like, Edatalo really hasn't drawn double teams yet. I don't know what what, what opposing are defenses for. are doing. I don't. Yeah, I, I. I get it at the first game. I get that he blindsided uh, Colgate. That's fine. Um, 
but he's had four straight 100-yard games. He's had two 200-yard games. At some point, you need to double-team him. And when that happens, I think Steve Ishmael, I think Steve Ishmael I'm going to make a, a bold prediction. I think Steve Ishmael will have uh, a, a at least one 150-yard game this season. No, I totally buy that. I was going to say 200. I'm not going to do that because I then you know he'll have like a 180 or two. But um, I think Steve Ishmael will have at least one like huge monster game. And everyone will be like, oh, yeah, he's really good. Um, but he was clearly the focus of the defense. And I think um, I'm just waiting for the shift in the defensive uh, focus to move over. Because, like, Edatawo is – I don't remember. I, I can't tell you one snap where I'm like, oh, yeah, they're double teaming him. He's gone. He, that's why he's getting all these one-on-one, these one-on-one downfield throws. And he's just punking cornerbacks for them, uh, which is great. Eventually, that's going to go away. They will start double teaming him. And in that case, I think we're going to see Ishmael – Get a lot of favorable matchups, and I think we'll see more Brizzly, more Irv, who will get room to work. Um, and then I'm really excited because I think that might overall be a good thing, as much as I do enjoy uh, watching Etatawa really kind of just destroy people. Um, I and even even if they start double teaming, he's going to have a 1500 yard year. I mean, there's like no way that doesn't happen. Well, I did love the uh, Diaco excuse about what happened to Jamar Summers, of like, oh, well, it was a seismic match. Well, like, so your five eight corner, like, does he have like does he inhabit a niche in college football of like only covering receivers under six feet tall? Like, yeah, Amba's not that big. Like, he's big. He's a he's a possession receiver for sure. But he's like he sits two. He's not sits yeah. five. He's not Calvin Johnson. He uses the size. He uses the size well. But like, yeah, it's not like like don't write excuses for the fact that your all conference corner got lit up the entire game. I mean, yeah, it's it was embarrassing, and it was the fact that he never made any adjustments was even funnier. Um, I think the Ishmael point, you know, is a good one in, you know, the sense that and another thing we've talked about before is that because of the routes, like Ishmael doesn't run these, you know, quick veers, the, or the, veer and, the veers and the shoots as, as this offense, you know, kind of runs on. He runs those intermediate routes uh, by and large, and, and those take a little more time. The offensive line's been banged up. So Dungy doesn't have time to throw those, to let those develop, and that's how you get this situation. Um, it's also worth pointing out that, you know, this offense is running like this with only half of it. Um, again, people forget that, that Babers runs, uh, while it puts up gaudy passing numbers, it's a run-first offense. Um, yep. And right yep. now he's only running half of that offense because we're not running the football pretty much at all. Um, we just patently gave up on it, um, in, I think, after the, the first half um, against uh, UConn. I forgot the, the full breakdown. Uh, from the play calling article but yeah we, we didn't really even bother trying to run the ball in the second half other than some spots here and there um and if we're still putting up these numbers with half of an offense um i i'm very pleased for what will happen when the other half shows up yeah and i think that is an offensive line thing primarily i, I do trust i you know i don't know that we have like a, a superstar running back on the team but i think we've seen enough bursts where i, I trust that these running backs get the job done i think the o-line Hopefully it comes along this season and, and starts to develop. Um, but even if not, I, I will say the one positive is that uh, – I mean, it's not positive that people are getting hurt, but the offensive line has gotten forced into where a lot of guys are playing meaningful minutes. And while the running game hasn't been good at all, um, I think they've done – they've all done, no pun intended, a pretty passable job in protection. Like, there hasn't been one time where – even in Louisville, which totally overwhelmed Florida State's uh, offense, def- uh, the defensive line had a huge game. Um, you know, I don't think Syracuse looked any worse for the wear than the, the Knowles did uh, in that department. So I think we're getting uh, a lot of guys' experience. I think uh, there will be, um, obviously, recruiting will help because uh, it seems like, based on what we've brought in so far, um, the Babers' ideal offensive line is a little different than the uh, Lester, McDonald, whomever offensive line, um, if there was a recruiting strategy yeah, there, which is a legitimate question to have. Um <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I think all those things will help that improve. But that is definitely, I think, the problem area on the offense. And they're still making it work because Dungy um, has a pretty quick release. Um, he and, and we do have these routes. That's why Eric Phillips is a million catches because he is almost always going to be open somewhere, even if it's for a four-yard gain. I mean, if that's going to become the de facto running game uh, for the year because the offensive line is better in pass protection... Uh, on those quick throws than it is uh, getting a push on, on the run. And you got to get your four or five-yard chunks that way. I mean, so be it. Like, it's not ideal, but I think it's workable, especially once we get into, like, the middle of the ACC and we're not playing Louisville's and, and South Florida's, which I think would probably be the, 
the number four team in the ACC Atlantic behind the big three. And look at that. Al Groh actually got something right when he said that those are runs. Because that's what they are. Sorry, I was focusing in on one part of the broadcast um, against USF where Al Groh was, was talking about the fact that they were runs and he was like being a little contrarian about like what was a pass and what was a run and it really doesn't effing matter because it's, it's all <laughs> about gaining yards. And like even if... Al Groh really sees it, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he, he was being like a like a Dino Babers offense truther, and I was just kind of, like, confused by it. But it's fine. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not like, that's not supposed to be what the running game is because, like, we've watched, like, a decent amount of, you know, a really good Bowling Green team, and they ran the ball like any other team runs the ball just well. Um, but I guess, I mean, that's that, that's what's done at work this year, and that's fine. I mean, you, you were going to, uh, to adjust and... And make these things happen as as uh, as they come here. Yeah, and that's fine. You know what? Like, like you said, the amount of guys we've been able to plug in um, on short notice, the amount of guys we've been able to get, you know, starting type experience. Uh, I think guys like Colin Byrne, like, are great. Like, I, I don't really know at this point. Like, is Byrne better than Emmerich? Maybe. Like, and now we kind of get to find out in real time. I mean. If we adjust our expectation to see, let's this season is about let's see what we got, and let's see what Babers likes um, of the assets on this team. I don't really consider like there's very few outcomes of this year that I would be supremely disappointed in, because I already think that we've we've grown by leaps and bounds as a program. I think that there's a lot of bad habits that this team needs to be shaken of, and, and Babers is has already you know gone to work and then some on, on addressing them. Um, the fact that the offensive line again gets to have this real time, you know, kind of coming of age moment, um, and and we really get to plug in, see who's going to be the future, uh, and I, I don't understand how anyone could really be down a, a, about the prospect of that. No, it's like it's the it's the Dino Sandbox year where he gets to experiment. He's probably having like I'm sure it's kind of frustrating to be back at Spur Run after you were winning obviously smaller conference, but you're winning match championships and, you know, competing with Tennessee. Um, but I think at another point, like, the expectations are kind of reset to where, you know, he just has to build things up to where they can. Next year they get raised a little bit, and you want to start showing, like, meaningful results, even though that might come this year. Like, who knows what, what BC can do against his team or Wake Forest can do against his team. So we'll, BC, we'll see. BC nothing. Um, Wake something. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Wake, I guess, you know, they're 4 no, so they deserve something. And they beat... They have a, a uh, uh, second, like, degree win over Notre Dame now, so that's good for them. Um, but I, I think this is, like, it's obviously a, a sandbox year. So he gets to play around, see what players work, see what players don't, uh, find, you know, in real time the needs in recruiting, um, and uh, get to make some, you know, just... I, I've had way more fun this year than I have in since, like, the end of 2013, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. Um, I think that's a good place to go for halftime. I know we kind of talked about UConn. I think we talked about that game enough. Uh, I think this was good to kind of table set for for the Notre Dame game. But, Dan, what have you been drinking over the course of the last week? Uh, unfortunately, not much because I've been on antibiotics for a couple days. Um, yeah, nothing serious. Just, like, don't want to, you know, go crazy. Um, I did have a couple, like, one or two beers here and there during the debate. Um I had a, a Southern Tier Tangier lying around in uh, my fridge. And, like, I love pretty much everything Southern Tier does. For some reason, the Tangier I just can't get into, even though it's, like, right in my wheelhouse. Of, you know, it's a session IPA. It has, like, a lot of fruit notes. And for some reason, I just don't think it balanced as well, um, which is weird because, like, I like pretty much all the rest of their IPAs. Um, but that's, like, the thing I drank uh, during the debate because uh, I didn't want to drink anything that had more than, like, 4% alcohol. So... Um, hopefully I'll be off of these soon and can, uh, can get back to it. And then I'll probably break into the fall beers. Yeah. Because we're getting there. It's like it's in the 60s all week. So. I was say, it's, it's, it's definitely pumpkin time for you. We, uh, we officially hit the mark. Well, yes. Basically. Once it hits October 1, Saturday, we'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, now that it's, it's basically been in, in, like, legitimate fall weather for an extended period of time here, so, yeah, I feel okay about it. It really, we, we totally bypassed the 70s. It went from, like, the mid-80s for, like, a week, like, weirdly late into September, and now it's just, like, 63 every day, which is fine. I actually don't mind that weather at all, so. Lucky you guys. It was uh, two days ago. It, it, 
my house and I'm in a beach city, it was 102 degrees. Huh. I was uh, I was not a fan. James wasn't a fan either. It was I honestly you walked outside anywhere in Los Angeles and you felt like even in the beach cities and you felt like you were just walking around the subway circa August one. Oh. That was the the entire city for like two days. It was I, I didn't understand what the hell was going on. This is not the weather I signed up for. Just again, not a fan. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about your your James, but uh, we all know Bayheim's um, theory on weather and perfect <laughs> weather, and uh, 102, 102 ain't it. So, well, considering my James is a uh, small black dog who <laughs> does not like being outside in any weather outside of the like seventy three to seventy eight range. Yeah, he. Uh, he so, he, so, he, so he. So it's so it, it is yeah, Jim so, Bayheim. So he's Jim Bayheim, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Way to keep in character, James. Way to keep in character. All right. Uh, some quick things from me in terms of drinking. Uh, I had uh, Beachwood's Melrose IPA, uh, one of their uh, staple bottles that they put out. Um, always excellent. Had a Monkish Fruit Cart uh, Sour Ale. They put out a couple different times this year. Um, only made, I think, the first round, they made about 150 bottles. Second round, I think they made 400. Um, got one both times, which was great, because, um, again, it's an excellent beer. Um, also had a uh, Frucht Yumberry uh, from the brewery. Um, so they're Berliner Weiss that they've, uh, they had a couple different fruited variations. I know I've had this one, the apricot one. Um, I didn't have the blueberry, because I hate blueberries. Um, and then they had one other version that I can't remember at the moment. Um, also had Same Tree uh, from Monkish. It was a uh, fruited ale with uh, these uh, really special nectarines that are that are grown in Central California. So yeah, it uh, wasn't an overly uh, drink-centric week, but still got to enjoy some stuff. Uh, I'll have plenty more next week, I am sure of it. If we beat Notre Dame, uh, I might... Just uh, say screw it, and we will uh, enjoy. Some- I will for- force myself to deal with the back. consequences later. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah, actually, if you're going to avoid things that are, you know, like over like four percent, you should just pound Guinness, just to thank Notre Dame for yeah, the win. That that that's that's an option. It's an option because Guinness is, is is one of the most easily drinkable beers, <laughs> just by way of alcohol content. This is true. That is an option. Um, or just an entire 15-pack of all-day IPA. Because yeah. what's the worst that can You can do that, too, because all-day IPA is also <laughs> under 4%. But one game that I alluded to, Dan, before we started, um, it's called When Will Clay Helton Get Fired? I know that this program, like many others, um, enjoys shitting on USC. I actually don't uh, as much as others. I have no problem with USC finding success. I don't think... I don't think Dan does either. I think it's just hilarious to watch them fail because they do it in such a unique uh, way. Yeah, I totally... That is not like a, one of the pet programs which I just hate. Um, it is... I have no problem with... I, I have no feelings for USC, really. Um, I actually think it would be kind of fun if they were really good again just to balance out like the, the college football world, which has been so uh, Alabama and Urban Meyer-centric for so long. Um, but... They just like it's they annoy me because they they squander their unique place in the world so poorly so badly for like over and over and over like they've made so many hires recently and they just don't work spectacularly fail and I think that, you know that's the now you know I think the is Clay Hilton going to get fired on the tarmac conversation got started after they lost the Alabama fifty two to six in the opener but now now we're here in week five. And they're facing Arizona State in a game I wanted to go to. I probably won't end up going to. But his tickets are dirt cheap because when the Trojans are bad, no one cares. Um, that's kind of L.A. fandom in a nutshell. When they're bad, no one shows up. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're cruising. Toward, like, you look at the schedule, and, and we're going to play this game. When will Clay Helton get fired? Keeping in mind they're already 1-3 and three and 0-2 and in the Pac-12. Um, Dan, do you have the Trojan schedule up? I'm pulling it up now. Um, here's the thing. I think they fired Lane Kiffin on the tarmac because Lane Kiffin's an asshole. <laughs> like, I don't think they would have done that to a nicer person. 
And I think Clay Helton, for, you know, I don't know if he's a good football coach, doesn't look like it, but I also thought he was put into, like, an impossible situation. Um, I don't think he's an asshole. So I'm going to say they won't fire him on the tarmac. I think they might tell him, let's say, let's say if they lose, like, two of the three to Colorado, Arizona, and Cal, which I kind of think they will because Colorado's pretty good, and Cal is Cal, and they're tough to deal with, and Arizona is a road game. We just saw Washington struggle there. Uh, this this schedule is like impossible. Look at schedule. <laughs> like this, this team's going three and nine. <laughs> like what? What's gonna happen is Hel- no Helton's gonna pull a G Rob. He's gonna they're gonna go like they're gonna be three and eight and they're gonna beat Notre Dame. <gasps> but here here's here's what's gonna happen. So that's gonna happen, and everyone's gonna be like, you know what? This is just you know we sorry for Clay. He probably shouldn't have ever gotten the job. Nice guy, whatever. Go rides out in the sunset, gets carried off the field by his team after winning his third game. Literally the same exact thing that happened to Greg, um, except he he even had the Cincinnati game that no one ever remembers happened the week after. Um, but I'm going to say that over in Baton Rouge, Dakota leads the Tigers uh, to a, I mean, what, what are they? Are they two and two now? Um, yeah, so he leads them. They're going to finish nine and three with their only other loss to yeah. Alabama. They're going to decide that they're going to go hire, hire Tom Herman because like LSU, you cannot mess that up. You have to give Tom Herman whatever he wants. He is in basically in your backyard in Houston. Like you, that is such an obvious fit. I don't think else you could possibly mess that up. Unless we'll Tom see. Herman says no, which he will. I just don't know how many better jobs he's going to get. Um, but that's another discussion. Totally. USC then goes and hires Ed Orgeron, <laughs> who they turned down the first time when he led them to a six and two record. Um, yeah. I, I I thought of this like the in the ten minute lead up to this show, and when I realized we we're gonna probably talk about this, and uh, that's my dream scenario. Fair enough. Um, so, you think that? What is so is is he fired after the UCLA game, and then and then he wins the Notre Dame game? Um. Yeah, it's tough to know. Like. It might, they might like, they could fire him at any point, and they just might not want to deal with hiring an interim, where they're basically hiring an interim for the interim because like, it does seem like Helton's not long for this job, so it's almost like he just inherited the year, the, the extra year. Um, yeah, I don't know when the actual firing is done, but uh, I just can't see a situation where they where they make this work. And he, he like, I when you're USC and you've been bringing bringing in like top five classes, I don't know. How you can justify a season that is going to go as poorly as this one looks? Yeah, and I mean, like looking at this schedule, if they lose to Arizona State on Saturday, they're going two and ten. Like I shit you not, look at this schedule and tell me where the wins come because <laughs> they're not there. They're not. It's tough. To, yeah, it, they're not there. Colorado like, is going to beat you. At Arizona, sounds like hell on earth. Like Cal is going to beat you. Oregon, it's their homecoming. They're going to beat you. No, sorry. It's, USC's homecoming, so Oregon's definitely going to beat you there. And then you're at Washington, at UCLA, and then you're facing Notre Dame, probably fighting for Brian Kelly's job. You're going to intend. This is going to be the worst USC season ever. Yeah, I think the most optimistic look is they somehow sweep. They somehow win three of the next four, and then I still don't. I don't know how they win any of the other ones. Still go four and Except for maybe they beat Notre Dame. Like maybe they can scrounge five wins and like five wins cannot be good enough at USC no matter what the situation is because they've been recruiting so well like they're in that top echelon of, of teams they're the, one of the only teams that and I know recruiting rankings are, are whatever um, they're one of the only teams who a major recruiting service has given a number one class that isn't named Alabama I think they might be the only one ESPN gave USC the number one class I think two years ago Alabama has pretty much swept every one of those for like uh, seven years now it's like they have so much talent there, and I know their numbers aren't all the way back from the Reggie Bush thing, which is crazy how much of an impact that's had. Which is, um, which is why, it's but deep. still, yeah, but it's still crazy. Um, but but they still have so much talent, yeah. and oh, it's just being squandered so poor, so if, badly. If USC loses the next three games, Helton is fired before the is fired right after the Arizona game. The bye week. He's fired in the bye yeah. week. If they manage to win two of the next three, which is possible. 
I, I'm not overly impressed with. I mean, ASU looked good against Cal, but it's not that hard to do. Um, they win two of the next three. I think he survives until they lose against UCLA. And then I think he gets fired, and then he loses the, 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 the and then he wins the, the Greg Robinson Notre Dame game. So that's my prediction. But now, now I want to play a very quickly an additional game of how many games the Seahawks have to lose for Pete Carroll to come back. Uh, I don't see it. I think, I think uh, they're probably going to be given um, a lot of leeway this year because it, it seems like Wilson might like have a lingering oh, no, issue, which is going to be a problem. I mean, how many games the Seahawks? You're saying he's going to leave? Seahawks have to lose for Pete Carroll to just just fucking leave. Oh, I, I don't think so. I think he's got like a couple more years. He just seems he seems fairly content there. I just feel like he'd be fairly content at, UC, at USC where he's a living legend and the guy gets a standing ovation every time he shows up at the Coliseum. That's true. I, I wouldn't put, like, the most USC thing possible is for them to eventually hire Pete Carroll again. I just think now is too soon. I could totally see it being after uh, the failed Ed Orgeron regime. <laughs> I'm just seeing, I'm seeing like five or six losses more on the schedule at least for the Seahawks. I mean, th- th- this just seems like the lo- that's possible. Seems like the logical move for Pete. Their Carroll. offensive line is so bad; it's really bad. Th- this is the logical move and, and for lo- Pete Carroll. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying not this year, but if you ask me, in like 2017, 2018, I think that is that's definitely in play. Also, like what? Like 66. So he's going to take USC as a retirement yeah. job, and no one's ever going to have the heart yeah, to fire him there. He's going to toast it out. <laughs> I mean, I, I he'd probably love that. I don't know. Like the the, the twenty thousand ravenous USC fans uh, that show up to every game probably wouldn't love that, but oh Christ! All right. Um, on that note, back to Syracuse stuff. Uh, as, as fun as that was. <laughs> so uh, Notre Dame, um, they fra- they fired Brian Van Gorder. They should have, but now they replace him with Greg Hudson, who was a god awful defensive coordinator at Purdue. Dan, do you see anything being different for them first in week? this week against Syracuse, and then do you see anything being different for Notre Dame going forward? Not really. <laughs> I don't know what you can do, like, mid-season. I think, uh, especially on the defensive side, like, you have the personnel you have. Um, uh, you're not going to, like, we're gonna, you're not going to make a mid-season shift uh, in total defensive philosophy. Like, your staff is built a certain way because that's what Van Dorder wanted. So, Curly Hudson... You know, obviously he's done the D.C. job. He wasn't particularly good at it. Purdue's an impossible impossible job at this point. But um, you can still field, in the Big Ten, you can field like a competitive defense and just not be able to score. Um, I don't think that was Purdue's problem. I don't have the stats in front of me, but like they were getting beat in every facet. Um, I mean, the defense got worse every year he was there. Okay, so there you go. They were 111 the last year he was there. And he, what, three years, I think? Three years somehow. That's impressive. It's also um, Purdue. Yeah, it is also Purdue. Um, yeah, I, I don't expect a, a huge shift. Like, I don't expect Notre Dame's defense to magically turn it around. Certainly not this week. Um, and uh, I think we said this after week one. Um, it just so happens that Notre Dame has seen a similar team. Uh, the Texas Longhorns uh, run a very similar system. Also have big receivers. Um, we don't have a John Burt who runs, a, it seems like, a 3-9-40 and runs directly past everyone. But we have some big receivers who are talented. Uh, a, a solid quarterback who, I guess, is playing after some just, like, weirdness where I'm. it, it does seem at this point like Babers was just going full gamesmanship and acting like Dungey's hurt when he might not be. so dumb. Which is, I, 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 it's so dumb, and I also kind of support it. <laughs> um, just as it riled up everyone for, like, a day and a half, including us. Like, we were totally in on that, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the systems are very similar. Maybe that gives Notre Dame a slight edge in that it won't be totally blindsided by some of the things. Um, but, uh, Texas also dropped 50 on them and could do whatever it wanted. And, uh, Duke didn't have the same level of success, but Duke, you know, Duke's offense, which is probably the worst it's been in like three or four years and is playing with, a. uh, I'm not sure. Is there a quarterback a freshman, or is he just his first? I think he's a freshman, right? Uh, I just know he's not Tom Cirk. Yeah, well, Cirk got hurt. I'm pretty sure the, the, the replacement's either a freshman, but either way, he's not someone with like a, a wealth of experience under his belt. Um, and he played very well at Notre Dame. Um, 
Nevada, you can throw that out. Nevada's not very good. They just lost to the said Purdue Boilermakers uh, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I was pretty sure. And um, Michigan State, who looked uh, like they you know, had never seen a football before against Wisconsin this past week, uh, put up 36 on Notre Easily. Dame two weeks ago. So, like, yeah, and, like, looked incredibly good doing it, and then Wisconsin almost shut them out. Um, and Wisconsin's good, but, like, Wisconsin almost lost to Georgia State, so I'm not, like, all the way in on the Badgers. Yeah, no, I'll, um, I'll forgive that one. Look ahead. I'm fine forgiving it, yeah. I'm fine forgiving it, but, like, I don't think the Badgers are... I, I'm not sure they're a top-10 team. We'll find out this weekend, for sure. LSU top-10 team, and Michigan State's clearly not no. a top-10 team. So now the strength of their win... Well, see, if they, are, if they beat Michigan out at the Big House, well, then, yeah, then, yes, then they are. Five team. But if they, if they get blown yeah. out by Michigan, then they're exactly what we thought they were, which is a fringe top-25 team, if they can get through a broom schedule. Yeah, and the schedule just killed them. It might kill yeah. them this year. Um, so, yeah. Notre Dame's defense, I, I think it's as bad as people think. Um, Van Gorder uh, went from Kelly basically like saying, oh, nothing's going to happen, to totally fired you know, in less than 24 hours. between uh, or No, it was more than 24 hours. It was Saturday to Monday. Um, but it just, I don't know. I think, I think Syracuse will move the ball on them. Uh, I, I don't know that they will win a shootout because I – I do think that Deshaun Kaiser has faced like a, a weird amount. He's catching like a weird amount of the blame, even though he he's been very good. Um, obviously, he didn't handle the late game situation in Michigan State very well, but it would also be nice if his defense didn't give up forty points a game. Um, so I, I expect Notre Dame to win a shootout here, but I do think uh, I, I I don't think the Syracuse offense will have much uh, trouble moving the ball on them. No, no, not at all. Um, I said, I, I we'll get the predictions at the end, but. To me, I, this game's going to come down to whether or not the Syracuse defense can make stops because neither is Notre Dame's defense has proven they can't. Um, if SU decides to finally start finishing off some drives, um, that'll obviously get us into a, a bit of a upper echelon in terms of offensive production. It'll have us um, fighting above our weight a little bit more, and I think right now we're still f- kind of fighting accurate to our weight, um, You know, beating a, a similarish UConn team by seven losing to much better USF and Louisville teams by 20 or more. Um, these are all things that are par for the course right now because the scheme is yet to kind of help us catch up. I mean, it's not going to this year, um, or at least it's, it's very unlikely to this year. Next year, that's when things click. Um, that said, this Notre Dame team uh, seems a little downtrodden, seems a little depressed, and is not in, in the, the state of mind that a team full of four and five stars would necessarily be. Um, you know, in a neutral site game against a team like Syracuse. Um, this is where, again, the scheme, if it decides to perform to its abilities, um, can help make it up. But because we don't have a running game, instead of relying on, you know, the pass and the run as, as we would have otherwise, we're going to be relying on the passing game and then the defense. Um, I think last week's effort uh, was a great morale boost um, for the Syracuse uh, Orange defense, but... Uh, there are a lot better weapons, and they're going to move at a faster pace with a more athletic quarterback um, and Deshaun Kaiser this week for Notre Dame than anything UConn could have done. And I think that's going to be their undoing as much as I'd love to see SU kind of, you know, either either win or, or obviously, you know, take a close loss um, on national TV that at least announces to people that this offense is, uh, is progressing a little bit more. Because the first question I've get, gotten from a lot of uh, – Opponents in my Q and A's that I've been doing with uh, with teams is you know where where are all the points we see the yardage but but where are those points coming from? Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I think that's going to be the major concern. Like we the the yardage that Syracuse is putting up is far outpaced like what you'd expect the point totals to be, uh, and that's been an issue for Syracuse for a couple of years now throughout multiple systems. Um, getting into the end zone has been uh, much tougher than uh, getting moving the ball between the 20s. So um, hopefully that's something that... And part of that problem last week was the missed field goals, which were pretty out of character for Murphy, who's been quite reliable. Um, I don't know what it was. I mean, the wind maybe, but it wasn't even... Like, they didn't look like they were carried by the wind. It just looked like some well, bad kicks. He said he slipped on the one. Look at some bad kicks. I also found that the, the lack of going for it on fourth down was another surprising wrinkle last week. Yeah, um, that was surprising, uh, especially considering how often he'd done it in previous games. I, uh, watching Murphy, I, th- I almost felt like it might have been a turf issue. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. The rent doesn't have like a, a particular, um, like it's not like we we always hear about the rent turf being bad or anything like we do some places. But uh, it didn't seem like anyone else like out there slipping. Usually, it wouldn't just be the kickers that you noticed it with. So I don't know. Could just be a bad day, um, which happens. He's allowed a bad day, I guess. Uh, but overall, um, he's been really good, so I'm not worried about him in general. Um, I just think that the team just needs to find what works in the red zone. I think uh, the the alchemy of the offense kind of changes um, in terms of like the weapons that you use and the plays that worked and clearly they haven't quite found uh, what works for them in that area um, hopefully we will because I mean I trust Babers as an offensive mind and, and I'm sure he's he's working on it because it's that's definitely been aside from like the greater offensive line issue I think um, that's been something that's plagued Syracuse for, for a couple of years now yeah and you know I, I mean people were I mean this was when Schaefer defenders were still a thing um, Shaver defenders were pretty psyched about, um, I think, what, through like three or four games last year, we had 100% scoring percentage in the red zone. People were like super jazzed, forgetting the fact that like we had less red zone trips than almost any other team. We settled for field goals like 75% of the time we were in the red zone. Um, now we still don't have a ton of red zone trips. Um, I think it's the, the only saving grace here is that we're scoring a lot from outside the red zone. Um, if I had to choose, I really don't care. Like, it's fine. I, if we're going to score on a 40-yard touchdown every time, that's great. Um, and if Dungey can, can hit those throws, and, and to be honest, he was hitting those spots a lot against UConn, um, and, and even some of the ones that didn't end up connecting were not his fault. Um, I think, you know, people underestimate just how well Dungey played on Saturday. I think he could have easily had, you know, another 75, 80 yards and a couple touchdowns. Um, if, uh, if, if Turf Monster and a, and, and a few cases of dropsies uh, didn't show up, um, I think if that Dungey shows up, and whatever this weird injury or not was, um, I, I think we've got a real shot. I think there's a lot of... If, if he can do that, if, if the offensive line can just keep him protected and against a team that can't rush the passer, um, it would seem likely that they can for at least part of the game. Um, this is going to be a fun one, but like you said, it's going to depend a little bit on red zone scoring. Um, and like I said, I think it's going to depend a lot on... Uh, if the defense can, you know, turn the field over a couple times or at least once, um, just just to create those extra opportunities for this offense. Yeah, if we can force the turnovers like we did last time we played Notre Dame at MetLife and uh, actually store off of them, which we did not do last time we played Notre Dame at MetLife, uh, I would, I think we'd be in a, in very good shape. That was the frustrating part about that last Notre Dame game at MetLife. Oh. It was, we, it was, we like everyone said you guys weren't that close, and I kept saying afterwards, no, but really look at the box score. If, if we actually had not, it was we were, we were we were right there. It was thirty-one fifteen. It was a two-touchdown game, and there was like five opportunity, like golden opportunities for Syracuse to store touchdowns, but they failed to do it. It was it. it obviously, you have to store touchdowns to store touchdowns. Like it's not like you assume that they are given to you, but. Syracuse was so like if 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 they storm one of them, it's a one touchdown game, and then you know it's hard to argue that that's not a close game. Um, if they had an average offense, they probably win it honestly. So uh, yeah, that was a much closer game than uh, most people probably remember. It was very frustrating because it like up until the, like mid fourth quarter, it seemed like Notre Dame like Syracuse was a player two away from like cutting it down to a one touchdown lead, and then anything can happen, and just. Refuse to refuse to just make that happen. Um, one of the many frustrating moments of the 2014 season. And, I mean, I, I would never write a post about ranking those frustrating moments, but but if I did, that would definitely be up there. Um, as would the idiotic 16 to six loss to Clemson. Oh, yep that that did happen. If only we had. If only we had Zach, uh, Zach Mahoney back. <laughs> yeah, if only Zach Mahoney had shown up and, and, and managed to run for 400 yards. And, but anyway. Um, Shout out to Zach Mahoney. If he does play this weekend, beware Notre Dame. He's going to get one of these wins at yeah, some point. He is, actually. Um, and, and, that, and that's even coming from someone who, who like just about all of us, uh, defends to the death that Dungy is the only decision quarterback right now when both sides are healthy. Um, Dan... As we wrap up here, I know we're both kind of trending toward a loss, um, but prediction, 
Uh, what do you see happening? How do you see ha- it happening? And uh, the final score. Uh, I'm going to take Notre Dame in a shootout. I think it will be uh, a pretty close game uh, through into the mid-fourth quarter. I think Notre Dame will pull ahead late. Um, I think Kaiser will probably throw for like 450 yards and four touchdowns. Um, I think Dungey will probably throw for like 350 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, if assuming he plays, if not, I think Zach Mahoney will uh, will just unleash a uh, love some lovely Mahoney magic on Notre Dame. Um, I have a 49-35 Notre Dame win. Um, so lots of points, uh, lots of fun for the whole family. What is that? Forty nine thirty five? No, I think no, that's, that's over, right? What's the, what's the over under at? Seventy four? Seventy four, seventy five. Yeah, eighty four. So easy over, um, which I am going to be looking into putting some shekels on uh, going forward, um, and that'd be a, a Syracuse uh, a Syracuse cover because uh, the line is right around ten everywhere now. Uh, it's opened at like twelve or thirteen, and most of the money is on Syracuse yeah. this weekend. Very nice. Um, I am predicting uh, even further. Over. I'm going with a uh, 52-41 final. Uh, that'll be a fun game to watch. I got Notre Dame winning, pulling ahead in the well, pulling away in the fourth quarter. I think Notre Dame does one of the, it's just one of those games where they kind of stay just enough ahead. SU just squanders just enough opportunities to score. I still think that they managed to get rid of some of their red zone uh, issues. I think that even if they can't run the ball. Um, Dungy finds ways to place the football exactly where it needs to be, which is in Ambatatawa's hands more often than not. Um, I see a similarly fast start to the last couple weeks, um, followed by some uh, some squandering on the part of the defense, um, but not in the like long game. This takes a full half to tie it back up. Um, format that UConn used, they see it much more looking like a, a USF game where they start kind of figuring out we're doing an offense, then their offense just lays waste to our defense for a quarter. Um, so we're probably looking at something in the like 28 to, to 21 range near halftime, and then Notre Dame just kind of keeps us at arm's length for the rest of the game. Um, maybe we force a turnover, but you know it, it's it's not enough to make the difference we need. Um, and unfortunately, we suffer a loss, but not without entertainment value and not without uh, the rest of the nation really kind of seeing that, yeah, we're going to lose some games this year, but we're, we're going to be entertaining and, and interesting in doing so and, and, and watch out in the future. Yep, and I think if, if you're going to lose on national television, I think that is uh, the optimal way to do it. Say, oh, Syracuse is a lot of fun. It's like, like you, you've been talking about those like bad Texas Tech teams. They're bad Texas Tech teams, but like people watch those games because they're yeah. fun. Like, Why wouldn't you want to rather be that than like some rock fight, you know, bad... Uh, I mean, what's a, what's a team that's bad and doesn't Minnesota. score any points? Um, just like we, just like we yeah. did two weeks ago. No, let's watch a bad Minnesota team. Yeah, you want to watch a bad <laughs> Minnesota team, bad Iowa State team? Like, no, nobody cares about those teams. P- people stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast to watch Cal. Right, I was going to say, like a 4-8 and eight Cal team? 4-8 and eight Cal's going to th- store 38 points and lose I by know. 20. It's going to be great. <laughs> Jared Dawson had drafted by one of the, off one of those seasons. Um and then not know where the sun rises. <laughs> uh, Eric Dungy, please make sure you know all basic like facts about you know just general life before you go into the NFL, especially if your team's on hard knocks. Anyway, um, Dan, anything else before we go? Uh, I know it's been a, a whirlwind episode of, of, uh, of fun and, uh, and frivolity. Uh, no, it's not that it's, it's, uh, not the deepest week, but I think there are pretty consistently good games. Um, I'm hoping I'm going to be out and about on Friday night, but I'm, I'm hoping to catch most of the Stanford Washington game if possible, uh, which it might be the one I'm looking forward to most, uh, which, you know, if I don't get to see it, whatever, I'll try to get the, uh, the main points. But I think that one is going to tell us a lot. I think Michigan and Wisconsin is going to tell us a lot. Um, uh, I think it's uh, it's overall like there's always there's gonna be something good at most points of this weekend, which is always what you look for. I would agree. Roll a damn card. Um, so for Dan and John, I'm John, and uh, you've been listening to Troy Noons an Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service. I don't know. Maybe we're on Android. Could be the case. Um, yeah, go Orange this weekend. Go Orange. Go Orange. Thank you.
At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.